0: good morning the next chapter i'll be reading is called the anonymity of crystal meth i recently went to a cma meeting and i could feel the infirmity of the men suffering i i was touched by their stories as i cried with them and sympathized with their pain connecting to their pain to mine i related to to the sleepless nights, the discontented disposition toward a God that should have protected his people from losing their minds. But it seems people are losing their minds left and right and there is no horizon in sight. Pastor Mike, the senior pastor at First Corinthians Baptist Church says, we cannot attain joy unless we sacrifice completely, surrendering wholeheartedly to the will and the plan of God. For me, that meant doing it exactly the way God intends and not trying to have small bits of relative happiness to lighten the sacrifice when it gets too painful. It is supposed to be painful, and if I wasn't willing to go through the pain, the non-clarity, the confusion, the empty void that creeps in, in that night, whispering in my ear, telling me God does not love me and that I need someone or something outside of myself to make me feel better, then I would never truly go beyond the horizon. I know now I need to go completely inward, sacrificing everything that I was not fully comfortable with, everything that raises concern in my heart. God was requesting that I not deny those feelings because it is the feeling of uneasy tension that signals what needs to be paid attention to, rooted out, and dealt with. This would eliminate my double-mindedness about my sexuality because I would have dealt with it completely and honestly. I cannot assume God is passive about me going on dating apps looking for artificial love. He does not like that I trade my respect for silicone gratification and manufactured happiness, packaged in a lie, dressed in sheep clothing and delivered by a mail carrier with devil horns. One thing God has blessed me with is discernment, to be able to see beyond the gross obvious atrocities of people by peering deeper into the nebulous and omniscient spirit world beneath. I could read straight through people's petty thoughts, seeing them for what they are, and I could decide not to let it distract and irritate me and throw me off guard. This discernment appeared again while attending a CMA meeting where I ran into a white guy whom I had my reservations about from from the day that I saw him. Something was not right about him. In the meeting i could pick up on all the fakeness in the room all the white men sat mostly together and when one black person spoke a group were sitting uh, a white group that was sitting uh, together started tuning him out and began gossiping and smiling among themselves it was so unbelievable to watch how rude they were behaving i knew in that moment cma was not going to be a conducive place to stay sober it was starting to be populated with vectors sent by the devil to hijack the meetings by not facilitating a healthy space for the most suffering in to heal. The meeting consisted of a bunch of routine, half-hearted, yet learned scripts responses. The fellowship meet- meetups were turned into an opportunity to hook up and form more cliques. The guys um, that would offer me their numbers that, uh, never never. St- stayed in touch and when I text them I rarely got a response. I was starting to believe that I was not whitewashed enough to be considered a part of their tribe. None of these clones cared about building strong bonds but I know that they were suffering from their own demons to see my light. They always behaved fidgety around me. The men who were most affected by what the crystal meth has done to their bodies and minds respond the nastiest toward me while sitting in the meetings a foreign guy walked in immediately uh after me and sat next to me his skin was flushed and his teeth were rotten and i could tell that he was hardcore a hardcore junkie and had been using meth for many years (laughs) excuse me i need to drink some water Where was I? <coughs> I remember him because he always sobbed and hated himself for going back out to do drugs, to use drugs. He's what I call an unfortunate. The ones that cannot get right to save their life, and yet no one spoke to him before. Or after the meetings. This night, he started exhibiting bizarre behavior, taking his phone out and pretending to take selfies while having me in the picture frame. I guess his mind was telling him that I was not to be trusted, so he needed to make me feel as uncomfortable as he felt. I felt many of the members were looking at me suspiciously, and I never knew why, because I always talked to people, and even would go out to the fellowships with a few of my on many occasions. I always offered to uh, stack up the chairs at the end of the meetings, but I never could make a friend. I did not manage to meet one guy that I found caring enough to befriend. Oh, I did manage to meet one guy that I found caring enough to befriend. His name was Luis, a Portuguese guy who I had met at another gay meeting um, called Found Away. He later became my sponsor. In one of our conversations, I spoke of my faith and that I went to First Corinthians Baptist Church. He said that he also went there and was planning to go with his son the following Sunday. We exchanged numbers and agreed to meet up there, but when I texted him, he mentioned nothing of the sort. When I asked if he was still going to, uh, going to church, he said that he was not going, but he wanted to meet me and spend some time with me. I do not know what I'd be doing to deserve being taken advantage of where men want to manipulate me into bed. I obliged to meet him at 11.30 a.m. at Harlem Coffee on Lenox Avenue, but that was the extent of my intentions. It had taken me over a year to find a sponsor that I felt comfortable with, and I did not want to ruin it by sleeping with him. I had no interest in dating him, but I desired a sponsor who cared about my recovery and who would not try to get me in the sack. I know God wants me to discern people's motives clearly. He was showing me something about gay male manipulation, but I was not falling for it. I hate this was happening because I did not think Louise would try to purposely take advantage of a good person who was vulnerable. Louise and I did meet at the Harlem Coffee and we were joined by another AA member, Sam, who also lived in the neighborhood. We talked about life, addiction, and moving forward. I got to know a little more about Louise as well. Luis and I had similar personalities, and we were both both very thoughtful people. We are codependent at that time, in that way, where we need gratification to feel valued. This was verified at at Harlem Coffee when the topic of dating was brought up, and he started bragging that his penis size was a whopping 7.5 inches thick. I guess he felt that this would have sounded big to me and Sam, who was also black and had this and unimpressed look on his face i was so happy that sam put him in his average size place by responding honey if you think that's big then i'll go fucking agent today (laughs) sam went on bragging about being with every 10 inch bottom (laughs) in harlem and made sure everybody in the coffee shop heard about it as some customers started choking on their lattes I wasn't convinced that he was meeting all these well-endowed bottoms, but I guess some gay men like uh, lie about their sexual roles to avoid judgment from other bottoms. But I was happy he shot Louise inflated confidence out of the sky because I almost choked on my quiche when he mentioned his eyes. I assumed due to his Portuguese background, he wasn't aware black men were a part of the Big Dick Committee and I was the CEO of BD Incorporated. <laughs> Toward the end of our meetup, we said goodbye and I left the coffee shop heading toward the train to go home. I transferred on 149th Street and waited on the platform for the 4 train to arrive. To my surprise, Louise appeared out of nowhere. I was surprised to see him because he did not tell me that he was on his way to the Bronx, as I figured he would have headed home back to Long Island where he lived. Now he was with me, waiting on the platform, heading in the same direction. So obviously the first thought that came to my mind was that he was was following me, either to find out where I lived or to solicit sex. He said he was meeting a friend a few stops up on University Avenue, but claimed the friend was not answering his texts. Then he stalled. The train approached and we both hopped on. He never got off as he... At his designated stop, but stayed on with me, I guess hoping that I would invite him over. I reasoned I did not have to allow anything to happen that I did not want to happen. So I literally took my power back and stopped thinking like a slave to my own sexual codependence. It's not about this in- his intentions, I told myself. He was my sponsor and I needed to learn to trust him. So I invited him over and of course he obliged. He said that he would go over the 12 steps and I figured that that, that wasn't appropriate. That was appropriate considering he was my sponsor. But in the back of my mind, I thought maybe he thought that we would fool around. Maybe I must have invited this stop. But I had the control, and I knew that by giving that control away, that I was behaving like a sex, dis- uh, uh, like a sex addict. Despite how I felt about him, it was not that I was unattracted to him. He was handsome, but did not want to cross that barrier simply because we found each other attractive. I was pleased that he thought that uh, of me to bring me back uh, to bring back a coffee mug from his trip to Spain, which I thanked him for. This was the second gift that I had received from him since we had became acquainted. I found him to be a very nice and generous person thinking of me during his travels and I did not want to deny him for being naturally giving because of my trust issues. It is a slippery slope when you're someone does something for you when you never asked. It could either come from selfish motives or that it genuinely made him happy to give gifts to people. While at my place, we spent an hour chit chatting, but never did he bring up CMA or the 12 steps? The mood was relaxed as we listened to classical music. I played my favorite pieces by Giovanni Battista Perglias, Stabat Mater, and I shared my and he shared his favorite Albinoni Tambasco in concerto for an old violin. He eventually left for no loving, but we got to know each other, and I. Considered, we were now officially friends, which was something that I had been asking the universe to send me. He said that he was going to give me the coffee mug at the coffee shop, but did not want to do it in front of Sam. I thought it was strange because why would it matter if his if his motives were in the right place? People are confusing. <laughs> that is why it was important for me to know myself, or I would get caught up in everybody's proposition. For then I stand for something, I will fall for anything. Exhort. So exhortative statement I could have looked At this As my inability to let things happen naturally By allowing myself to love With no expectation Maybe did Maybe he did like me And what was wrong with that If he did find me attractive Was it a crime to want to have sex with me Maybe I was projecting this negative light On my sexuality Simply because I had no, no control over it I wanted to control how gay men sexualized me. That was not a good way to have a and maintain relationships. Did it mean that I should fall for everybody's seemingly honest interest in me? No. It simply meant that I needed to use more discernment with people, but not letting discernment turn into investigative paranoia that destroys the possibility and potentiality for a more evolved relationship. I felt in general gay men were ruthless savages who are desperate for sex and will not stop at nothing to have it. I cannot navigate the absurdity cleverly cleverly enough to avoid the bull crap that's supposed to come from harmless, innocent sex. Sex used to be liberating and enjoyable. Now I was worried about catching diseases that I could not pronounce. It has forced me to put a condom on and protect myself with every partner. Not that I thought that I was better than the men that I slept with, but the last guy that I came to my place was leave, leave, leaving another guy's place before me. And then he slipped and admitted that he was going to meet someone else after me. I still desired to date, to enjoy the company of someone's new. But I was not giving more than other, the other person was willing to give. Even if it was about cheating a nut, it was supposed to mean something. And I had to learn to respect sex, my time, and my right to choose life. This operates on thin ice because this was New York City and I could not trust that everybody had my best interests. Were they they showing me that they cared about me by my well-being and my aspirations? And did they want the best for me or did they just want to take the best from me? The best being my time, my attention, and joy. All gloves are off when it comes to selfishness. But the problem was that I would never be able to define it in concrete terms because I had this highly complex mind and there were various degrees of selfish pursuits. I had to train myself in the art of manipulation. God had put me in contact with many people who have shown me on many levels the ways of a selfish heart, no matter what their race age, socioeconomic background, or family upbringing, men have this insatiable need to manipulate and act on selfish grounds, seeing the other by what they can do for them. Luis, Luis mentioned at the house that I was putting up a wall. Only a person with selfish motives would perceive that, because I thought that I was meeting him halfway every step of the way, yet because I said that I, would not, that I could pay for my own meal at the coffee shop, he took that to mean that I had my guard up. <laughs> Mind you, he never brought up any of the step work at the coffee shop, but was more than eager to talk about sex. It came out also that he was married to a man, though that they were not monogamous in their relationship, which said something about his character and explained why he lied about going to church. He explained he uh, he only went to church once a month because he did not want to fall into the repetitiveness and the conformity. His background is heroin, and he said that he got sober in his 20s and moved to the United States from Portugal to work in journalism. (laughs) I found it a miracle that he was able to stay in school while hooked on drugs. I do not know the extent to his rock bottom, but manipulation seems to have influenced his downfall. I also realized he wasn't reliable and never had time to talk when I needed to talk to him, but he would text me randomly wanting to meet. I was supposed to pretend that he was a loyal sponsor that was helping me stay sober. I do not know why I am continuing going to those CMA meetings anyway, where I usually find him all and the, all the other cronies that I notice looking at me suspiciously as if they do not trust me. I watch and observe who is paying attention and who is there to hook up. Now I think that he must have followed me to church one day and found out that I went there. Now the bastard knows where I live. He probably planted a bug in my apartment and was listening to my conversations at home. I I never put anything past suspect breeds of humans. It makes me mad when people blatantly lie to me to my face. He has alluded to his own dishonesty in the past. So why would he make me think that he was completely over with that irritating bad habit he probably does this to all his newcomers to all the newcomers laurie young broken black addicts under his wing than having sex with them i notice this inconsistencies often and do feel that he is a, he's not a good candidate for me A week later, I decided to call Luis and ask him if he was still my sponsor because I had not heard from him, but he openly denied knowing that he was my sponsor, so I let it go. But I drank a few beers and felt bold enough to call him up and tell him how I really felt about him. I told him that I thought he was a manipulative and a liar with an agenda. He did not everything in typical European fashion, so I decided I wouldn't give him the benefit of witnessing my crazy emotions come out. So I accepted his lack of accountability, attaching to it uh, to another psychotic white dude with a grudge. God would be my sponsor and he would work the 12 steps together. We was beginning to this. I was beginning to dislike going to CMA anyway, finding the move cold and methodical at times. Men turned into these heartless blood sucking suckers and I and all I seemed to have hitting agendas or some ulterior motive but for what who knew unfortunately I had to walk out but after catching Louise in a lie then seeing how there was a lack of spirit and hope at the meetings I didn't feel that I would ever go back to an LGBT centered AARCMA meeting again living life can be, a beauti- can, can be beautiful and so full of interesting people who teach me about life every day The lessons can seem bitter and perplexing And the paradox of life is Erivesant in the world The key is surviving uh, It is to maintain Rooted in the darkness Till it passes over because Trouble do not last always I try hard to be honest with my thoughts and feelings It is how I maintain My sanity and not to go crazy Because outside world Never reflects how I perceive the world I am not completely unre- unrealistic or delusional about reality, but I realized what I had been doing all along was trying to create a degree of balance where my mind could thrive and expand beyond the limitations of the world's cumbersome concerns. The world is going through a universal purification, and many people will not ta- make it. Many people are dying left and right, and I can only hope that my life is spared so that I can fully realize God's plan for me that is the re- that is really the only reason why I want to remain in this world, to realize God and impart something that will inspire people to live their best life and spread a little hope for the future for generations to come. The important thing was to stay focused, surrender all to the will of God, and not fear, begrudge, or judge this world because I was living in it. And life and death was on the tongue. So it was best that I did not say anything to Louise or any other addict that I would later regret. So I simply played the disappearing act. And that is the finale of that chapter. Thank you guys for listening and have a wonderful, joyous day. Thank you. Ta-ta.